The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sunarman in Hong Kong. Uh, where else? And I'm joined today by Paul Mottram, who's Asia-Pacific president at Xeno Group. Paul, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Alan. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, thanks for joining the podcast today. Uh, we held a roundtable last week with Zeno, where we talked about digital innovation in Asia-Pacific uh, in 2020. And I suppose in particular, digital innovation and transformation that has arisen as a result um, of the events of this year, in particular, of course, the pandemic and various lockdowns and this shift that everyone has seen to virtual, whether that's in terms of working or selling or living. And we had a number of uh, senior client-side people on from, from a range of different companies across marketing, digital and communications. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the observations from that uh, discussion. There's also a feature story that's running on the Provoke website, uh, which, which recaps the discussion well. Um, but I want to start by asking you specifically, when, when this pandemic first hit, someone on the agency side said to me, we've had 10 years of digital transformation in, in two months you know, looking at specifically at a, at a public relations agency. Is that overstating the case, do you think? Yes, I think so. Um, there's no doubt that the pandemic has accelerated a number of things that were, were arguably going to happen anyway. Um, I think sometimes, in some cases, massively, you know, most obviously the, the use of video conferencing, um, which before was a nice to have, and actually not that nice to have in some cases. People were a little bit reticent. Um, but obviously that's become utterly mainstream now, and, and that's a, a good thing. Um, but beyond that, I, I think the, from what I've seen from both our own agency and, and the, the clients that we work with, that the sort of degree of technological innovation has been maybe a little bit less than I would have, have expected. Um, mm. And, and, and for good reasons, right? Companies have been focused very much on surviving, uh, very much on dealing with the uh, continued rounds of um, bad news and you know, difficult circumstances that, that we've all been presented with. And some of us in more developed countries, um, or certainly more developed Asian countries, have got off relatively lightly compared with uh, much of North America and Europe and some of less developed Asia um, mm. But to, 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 for everybody, it's been very much a leveller, um, and everybody's had to face the same kinds of um, sort of challenges to the business. And so I think that while we've seen a lot of um, innovation and interesting innovation happen on the business side of things, I think on the, the marketing communication side of things, I'm not so sure that there's been as much uh, beyond the sort of reactive change um, mm. You know, there's uh, that line about some some people are born great, others uh, achieve greatness, uh, others have greatness thrust thrust upon us. Uh, we've had innovation thrust upon us, right? It's not that we've been particularly um, proactive, I think. Um, so yeah, I think it's been a bit of a mixed bag um, overall um, for for good reasons. One of the 
one of the my takeaways from the conversation that we had in the round table was that there's actually some signs of, of some quite interesting, more far-reaching change around, you know, the way that people are thinking about the world of communications in the business, which is really nothing to do with technical innovation um, and much more almost existential, you know, you know, why are businesses here and how mm. do we articulate why we're here and what's our purpose, which was kind of... Um, not what we got the group together to talk about, but was nonetheless incredibly interesting. It, it was interesting, and, and it reminded me that um, you, you can only suggest <laughs> sometimes the conversation topics. People will talk about what they're going to talk about, I suppose. And I guess that it was a reminder that, um, as you put it, while there's an opportunity in terms of thinking differently about digital from a marketing and communications perspective, Many companies are grappling with bigger questions this year, um, yeah. just around their, their role, um, what, what do they really exist for, um, and how do they make that clear to all of their different stakeholders. Um, it was interesting, you, you talked about the, um, the challenges companies have faced, and I think it was Penny Davis, who's the Director of Brand, Customer and Corporate Affairs at Bupa in Hong Kong, and she said... Um, Digital transformation, it, it's certainly moving more quickly this year, but one of the, the hurdles is this issue of prioritization of resourcing and funds, and actually that hasn't been any easier this year. Do you see that as a, as a particular challenge in terms of, of your clients as well? Yes, I think so. Um, but alongside that, um, it was either Penny or one of the other panelists that also talked about the circumstances causing or forcing a greater focus than before. Mm. Um, and so I think that most businesses are sort of um, balancing those those two factors. And I think in, when you look at marketing and communications, there are some areas where I think there's been that dialogue, that, that um, dialectic has been very, very useful. And when you look at delivery of, of marketing communication services it's been very clear across a number of industries and most markets that um, more needs to be done digitally than uh, on traditional channels um, mm. more localization needs to be done um, or at least messages and um, you know marketing needs to be tailored to individual markets because we found ourselves in very different situations um, some of the um, the, 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 the list, social listening that we did early in the pandemic made it really clear very, very uh, early that um, different markets would be responding to the pandemic in vastly different ways or at different stages of dealing with it. And so with one market, you might find, like mainland China, that um, you know, moved through the cycle relatively quickly with hindsight. didn't feel like it at the time, but with hindsight mm. relatively quickly uh, and some kind of normal uh, was achieved relatively quickly, uh, while in in other markets, um, you know, you know, literally a dozen miles away. In, in our case, in Hong Kong, uh, at a very different stage of the process, face, facing separate waves or second waves, third waves, and having mm -hmm. to deal with that. So, from a communications perspective, you know, it's been very clear that we need to communicate things at different times uh, to to different markets. I think also, uh, sort of a renewed focus on the tone of messaging. To make, mm -hmm. to make sure that we're being, uh, you know, respectful um, and appropriate for the 
uh, worlds that our, that our audiences live in and recognizing again that those, that tone cannot be the same across uh, all markets. Um, and I think that's a, a very, very positive thing. Mm. I, th- I think also in terms of innovation um, at the insight sort of stage of if you think of um, you know any kind of marketing communications as having a beginning, middle and an end where at the beginning comes a need for insight and to understand the context um, that your audience is in, I think um, the, the opportunity to use social listing and, and other analytics tools to get a much better fix on where your audience is, what they're thinking about, how their values are changing, how their behaviors are changing. Um, it's really thrown into, the pandemic's thrown into sharp relief, how useful mm. technology like that can be uh, if it's mm. pointed in the right direction. At the delivery mm. stage, you know, you, you have your understanding of the market context, you're delivering marketing communications. As I've mentioned, uh, uh, sort of a, a greater focus on digital has certainly been the case. I think at the end of the scale, if you look at evaluation, uh, not so much, I think, partly because it's evaluation and measurement remains one of the hardest things to do. Um, mm. I think also when you're looking at, you know, it's using very finite resources um, uh, and applying them in the places that will make a difference now, uh, it's very difficult to apply, you know, an, an incremental dollar to a measurement um, uh, objective uh, than it is to actually doing something. And that's unfortunate in some ways because I think uh, there's uh, opportunities being missed, but again, entirely understandable. Yeah. Um, if we talk about digital innovation specifically and, and whether it has leapfrogged at all this year, and, you know, leapfrogging is a, a term people love to apply to Asia, um, and yet I haven't necessarily seen that much evidence of it in terms of the uh, communications and public relations sector in, in the region. Um, one of the panelists, uh, probably the only panelist who really was supportive of this notion was uh, Jessica Lee, Vice President of Communications at the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, which is, first of all, it is a non-profit backed by industry, but um, a non-profit nonetheless, and kind of a fledgling organization. So I think you can understand from her perspective how this the events of this year meant they had to, to move everything online and that that would constitute kind of a quantum leap um have you seen much evidence of of leapfrogging no i don't think so um again i think that there's been a lot of um movement and a lot of change and that change has been forced upon us and ultimately that will uh the effect of that will be a good thing um but I'm not sure that we've seen uh, Asia or indeed any markets in Asia move significantly further forward um, relative to other markets or relative to the rest of the world. I think the point that Jessica made was really interesting, though, insofar as the, the more, as you do more that is digital, particularly from a sort of operations and a communications perspective, um, the more opportunity there is for it to be global um, mm. by definition. Um, as opposed to more traditional marketing which and communications, which tends to be uh, more localized um, simply because the channels are, are more localized. So I thought mm. that was interesting. And also um, it's interesting in the context of well, when we think about sort of glo- a global response, the, the sheer fact that most markets in Asia, um, fingers crossed, will follow China's um, experience in the pandemic and will emerge quicker 
um, than the rest of the world. I think maybe there are leapfrogging opportunities to come um, if indeed Asian markets recover quicker and we will find that certainly for multinational organizations when they look at their dashboards of how their businesses are doing in the world if they see that growth is coming back stronger sooner in Asia than other markets then that will be an excellent source of focus uh, for them and and hopefully will create conditions for more innovation and, and, and more transformation. Um, and more understanding of this part of the world, frankly. We can only hope. Do you feel like it's been a missed opportunity uh, in terms of digital transformation in Asia-Pacific this year, um, given the shift that many people have had to make? No, I don't think so. I think it would be pretty harsh to... You know, just as I said, and sort of I I see certain clients in in a range of different industries, but as I said earlier... we're all equally affected by something of a magnitude and a nature that we've not seen before. And so to expect, uh, whether it's communications organizations, marketing organizations, or the businesses themselves to simply pirouette um, and create this uh, a bold new future when the world seems to be collapsing around our ears, I think that's a, that's a tough ask. I think it's if we can continue to look for opportunities to do things differently and be mindful about what is proactive transformation as opposed to sort of purely reactive change, then mm-hmm. I think we're, we put ourselves in a position to be able to do things more smartly and more thoughtfully and more ultimately more effectively going forward. And, uh, and, and that will be enough. Mm. So you, you talked about um, social listening as, as one area that has has perhaps proven its worth um, more effectively this year. Obviously, we all know about um, the move to virtual meetings, virtual events. That has Mm -hmm. been a a really uh, clear trend in 2020. Um, But I just wonder if there are any other examples uh, of new communications channels and methods, you know, from a digital perspective, uh, and maybe even um, how digital transformation has impacted business operations, new markets, brand rediscovery, conversion at all this year, uh, even if it's only outliers, is there any interesting things that you've seen? Well, I think from a from an agency perspective, it's taught us that the tools that we've begun to use and have suddenly become second nature um, are extremely extremely valuable and effective and yes there are some annoyances um, and yes they don't fully replace the um, the value of you know real face-to-face time and unstructured interaction you know outside of the the rectangles that we stare at and the sort of half hour or 45 minutes or one hour blocks of time that we've that we sort of manage ourselves within um, so, for example you know we have won several pieces of business with never having met the um, the, the clients. Um, we're having some interesting conversations and getting to a fairly late stage about various mergers and acquisitions opportunities. And again, where you know we've we've spent almost no time in the same room with the people that we may be working with. Um, and so I think it, it it creates a different way of looking at the world and a different idea of what's possible. Um, in terms of the ways that. Um, brands are, are actually doing marketing communications. I don't think I've got a 
particularly sort of exciting outline example that would sort of herald a brave new world. Um, I think it's it's more kind of incremental change. And as brands use rely on digital channels more, similarly to the way similarly to the way that we're relying on the, the channels that we're talking on right now, they become more second nature, and that that will unlock the opportunity to use them in some more interesting ways. Yeah, and it was interesting on the roundtable just to hear the spectrum of views because, you know, on the, on, on the one hand, you had uh, Arnab Roy Chowdhury, who's from Standard Chartered Bank, and, you know, he described um, his company as a dinosaur in terms of digital. And it was very clear that the kind of progress they've made has has been quite incremental. Uh, but then on the other hand, if you we had Zahir Nuruddin from Shiseido, and he was talking about the use of... It was augmented reality in terms of makeup. You could see things like that being very effective in China, for example, this year. Um, and if I'm being honest, I would have thought the latter would have been more common. If maybe, if maybe not just in terms of the technology, but just that ability to to go from content to conversion, mm-hmm. um, which we've seen far more of in China for. for for obvious reasons in some cases because you know they have a system of yeah. digital platforms that uh, enables that kind of activity are you seeing much evidence of of that kind of action at all outside of china yes um and to the extent that it's happening it's certainly being being accelerated um again by mm. the, the the necessary move to more digital channels more often. But I think it's important to remember that even in mainland China, those things were happening anyway. Um, mm, you know, that, that yeah. level of innovation was happening um, across the board and, as you quite rightly say, enabled by the fact that there's an ecosystem, a social commerce ecosystem that's pre-existing that enables that to happen. I have no doubt that in other markets in our region that the pandemic will have accelerated moves in that direction. But equally we still don't have the same kind of pervasive uh, platforms uh, that they have in China so I hope I, I think and I hope that the brands will continue to experiment um, uh, and learn from the experience that, that's been thrust upon them right now um, but I'm not sure again that that's sort of a, a sort of a major sea change or, or leapfrogging I think it's probably an acceleration of something that was already happening in China, at least. But outside of China, what do you think is stopping companies from... And you, you mentioned it yourself earlier. and In a way, it's almost a measurement question. Um, there seems to be a reluctance to uh, evaluate the effectiveness of digital content, digital marketing, um, or, or at least try and tie it to conversion. Um, what, why do you think that is? And perhaps what could... You know, agencies like yourselves do to make that, um, I don't know, a more reasonable yeah. prospect. Well, I think the don't underestimate the the absence of a common pervasive platform mm. uh, as a, a as a a basis on which to to experiment to try to try these things. The 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 promise and and the reality of of social commerce uh, as it morphs into that's submerged with digital marketing is its measurability. And I think that's part of the reason why it's been so successful in mainland China is that you can see what works um, mm. very, very quickly. And, and 
when you can see and prove what works quickly, then it's very easy to, very easy, it's relatively easier to try other things and, and develop that kind of um, sort of innovation mindset, get sign-off internally for the things that you want to do, learn from the things that, that don't work and, and do them better. Um, from what I've seen in the rest of Asia-Pacific, um, there are efforts to, you know, continual efforts to try and do that. I think, you know, looking through Provoke and, and, and other trade media, you see examples of some really amazing work being done almost all the time, um, but it's not pervasive. Uh, I, and I, I, can't, I can't see that it will become pervasive until the, the platforms or consumers decide to use platforms that will enable... Um, you know, and enable that kind of experimentation, that kind of innovation to be rewarded more often. Um, mm. In the meantime, we can continue to point towards the measurability of things. We can continue to think carefully about and advise clients and advise brands on, you know, what are the best bets um, to do this, what micro audiences or what segments uh, can be done. And I do believe you'll see the industry do that, and I do believe you'll continue to see the industry do more of that, but I wouldn't expect it to catch up with mainland China anytime mm -hmm. soon. Is digital hastening um, a better understanding of these micro audiences? Um, because I guess the, the risk has always been that, particularly with multinational companies, is that they paint Asia in quite broad brushes yeah, um, and don't necessarily understand all of the various segments and, and micro segments that make up um, yes. different markets. I think yes and no. Um, yes, in so far as the more that this kind of work happens, the more data will be gathered on the effectiveness uh, or lack thereof of it, and, and over time that body of knowledge um, increases. However, the one of the challenges of, of digital marketing remains the sort of transactional nature of the measurement and not to get too, um, to try not to get too um, esoteric about this, but um, digital is excellent for, for measuring actions. It's not so good for measuring perceptions. Um, and so the, the measures that marketers use are generally around acquisition of a prospect, um, Mm -hmm. consumer prospects or a B2B prospect or whatever, and then monetization um, of that prospect. And mm -hmm. those, are, those are the things that get measured because those are the things that are easy to measure and can be measured, and that, that's a good thing. However, I still think not, not nearly enough attention is paid to the engagement that needs to happen between the acquisition of a prospect and turning them into a customer and then the enlistment of that customer into a, a brand advocate um, mm. and an evangelist for the brand. And this is Jeffrey Moore sort of thinking. This isn't, um, this isn't me coming up with this, but, uh, and has been around for a while. Um, but I think it remains a pretty fundamental challenge to innovation, and particularly when it comes to communications, because in so many cases, the outcome that we want is not a sale. It's not a transaction. It's a, a change in perception. Um, mm. And in many cases, the, the age-old sort of tension between wanting to sell something uh, and wanting people to think good things about you, um, they, they don't often go hand-in-hand, yeah. hand, right? And particularly on digital, the more, the more that you pop up in somebody's, unbidden in somebody's feed, um, the less likely they are to think something good about you unless they happen to be, you know, in the market for whatever it is that you're 
you're, yeah. you're, you're selling to them. Yeah, it's a very interesting point and, and not one I'd necessarily considered in that much detail because you kind of always assume that if you can track sales, that gives you a good idea of perception as well. But uh, actually, it, it, it perhaps doesn't. Over the um, long term, it, there will the long, be a correlation. Yeah. But at any given time, if you're, you know, it, take a, a response rate of 2%. Correct. Mm -hmm. For any given piece of marketing communication, that means that only two out of a hundred people were uh, interested enough to um, either buy or respond or whatever it is that you're asking them to do. The other 98%, well, we don't really know how many of them were just, it didn't even register with them. We don't know how many of them were actively pissed off by seeing another ad or another piece of marketing from brand mm -hmm. ABC um, and everything in between those um, and what we know is, is, certainly from the communication side of marketing, um, intuitively, um, is that, you know, over time, you need to win people's hearts and minds, and then ultimately they'll repay you, whether it's in terms of, you know, a, a positive commercial result that they'll buy, they'll choose your brand over somebody else's, or indeed they're sort of defensive, they will, you know, they will stick, stick by you when other people are leaving if something bad happens. Mm. Um, those are the truly valuable uh, outputs that we're going for. And the, the language of digital marketing is not quite yet sort of calibrated to those kinds of objectives. It's, mm. And it's something that is not a huge problem. It's just something that we need to work on. And certainly uh, those of us in the mm. industry need to continue to have and constructive discussions with brands about how they think about this, um, and then we can map our objectives for the campaigns accordingly. All of these sentiment analysis tools and tracking and platforms, I know they were all the rage 10 years ago, and there were so many of them, and now there are fewer of them, but they're still, I assume, very popular. Do they not kind of do at least some of what you're describing? They do. They do. Um, they do a lot of, uh, of what I'm describing, um, and, and that's entirely a good thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm not saying it's not happening at all, but I'm saying what I am saying is there continues to be something of a, uh, a gulf between the two. And, you know, you will still find that those sentiment analysis tools are run by the communications teams um, and the um, uh, marketing teams are, are running programs that are driving clicks or, or purchases or whatever and the two don't the two systems don't necessarily necessarily talk to each other uh, least of all in some cases the two departments don't talk to each other that much although that is happening less and less and most of the clients that we work with there's an active you know, very positive proactive effort on both the communications and marketing sides to to make sure that the two sides are aligned mm, sure um, so what about the different types of digital technology and, and platforms and investment in those areas? Have you seen any particular changes in 2020 that, that, or, or maybe just signs of change that perhaps will take root from next year onwards? Um, I'm not so sure that, that I've seen any sort of major changes. Um, I think there's still uh, on the... B2B side of things is still a sort of a, a continued sort of slow wave towards um, marketing automation tools, um, mm. uh, the account-based marketing um, approach, which is an incredibly thoughtful um, and, I think, you know, progressive way to, to look at marketing and communications in the B2B world. In terms of consumer 
um, uh, consumer marketing, consumer communications, I think continued investment on tools to help manage social properties, to help manage content uh, and track uh, content as well. I think we'll continue to see um, you know, investment in those areas. And again, I think that's entirely a positive thing. Do you see um, a rise in, uh, in comms tech, for example? Uh, there's, there's been a lot of conversation around how technology could transform public relations. Um, from your perspective, is that, is that more just conversation at this point or is it actually happening? What do you mean by comms tech? I think uh, largely it's the kind of thing you referred to in terms of B2B marketing automation, um, but applied to the types of things that public relations people, communications people uh, will do. Um, so using platforms, let's say like HubSpot or Salesforce to perhaps connect, as we talked about earlier, connect that um, path from, let's say, research to content, ultimately yeah. to conversion, and using technology to make that happen. Yes. Um, I think it's more, much more prevalent in, in B2B. Um, and I think that uh, it still tends to be driven by that sort of sales lead acquisition and conversion um, need. But those kinds of tools create opportunities um, for content um, and maybe not specifically PR content, but content with an editorial sensibility, right? Not all sales content, but, mm -hmm. you know, engage content that's, that's aimed at engaging people. Um, mm -hmm. And when those tools are deployed um, properly, it creates the, the, uh, an engine or an appetite for, um, you know, good engaging content of the kind that, you know, PR people traditionally are extremely good at um, coming up with because we have to fight for attention. We have to fight for interest as opposed to just being able to buy it. So, you know, being able to tell stories that are going to engage um, uh, a prospect, whether they're in the market for a, you know, power station uh, air conditioning system or a semiconductor or a car component or whatever, um, you know, the, those kinds of platforms demand they have a sort of an insatiable appetite for that kind of content, ultimately because the, the, the customer, the prospect, the prospective customer has an appetite for that kind of content as well. Mm. Matching the, matching the, 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 the availability of that content with the need at the right time is where I think good B2B marketers are really excelling because those kinds of tools in the right hands used thoughtfully are a, a, a really, really effective way of doing that. Mm. Um, as you said, you're seeing more of that on the B2B side. Um, do you expect that to change at all in terms of B2C? Um, I don't know, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I, I'm not as close to the, some of the systems that uh, B2C marketers are using. Intuitively, I would think it would be harder to do because yeah. by definition, the B2B decision is a long decision and there is a, a lot of opportunity to um, sort of map that uh, mm -hmm. buyer journey, if you like, yeah. uh, to use the, the, the lingo um, and to look at it quite objectively. Um, with fast-moving consumer goods and some other consumer areas, it's, the buyer journey isn't nearly so structured. Um, so yeah. it's intrinsically more difficult. 
But I think that there's a lot of opportunities. There must be lots of opportunities to particularly harness sort of uh, the power of um, consumers as evangelists um, uh, in, in support of messaging. It's just I, I'm not personally as, as close to the, uh, the, the platforms that are available to do that. Yeah, sure. No, I think it's true. And I think also that in B2B, you're often just talking about you can afford to look at five to ten prospective customers, let's say, um, because, you know, you're talking about each transaction is quite a, a major event. Yes. Um, whereas with B2C, that's, it's, a, it's a totally different equation. Um, so just to close then, given everything that's happened this year um, and, and this this kind of move we've all made to this virtual world. I just wonder if you had any advice for client-side marketers or communications people who are maybe looking at this and thinking, okay, what do I need to be thinking of um, in terms of making my marketing and communications more digital, more virtual? It's, uh, I will shamelessly steal a comment that one of our panelists made, which was, along the lines of um, defining the human interaction, the human relationships that you want, and then use technology to try to make those happen or, or to wrap technology around those as opposed to, you know, put in place, use, put in place a technology and then try and figure out how to make it work. Um, I think the communications tech that we have available to us is potentially yeah, it's very powerful and, and has potentially to be potential to be more powerful now more than in, in the future more than ever. Um, but it needs to be at the service of you know human messaging, authentic messaging, human relationships between companies and their customers, between companies and their stakeholders, between companies and their staff, their their teams, um, which has never never been more important. Um, in order to make sure that the Effective, the ultimate effectiveness of what we're trying to do, which is trying to change people's minds, get them to think or act differently than they would otherwise do, is done. Um, otherwise, we'll just put get ourselves onto the uh, decreasing response rate um, mm. uh, cycle, which at the moment we're not on. Um, much of the marketing, the digital marketing world is fighting a perennial battle against uh, decreasing response rates uh, and click-through rates. Um, yeah. We're not there yet from a, a marketing comms perspective, uh, and it's important, I think, that as we have more tools available to us, as we're thrust into using more digital channels, um, just because that's that's all we have in some cases, we need to make sure that we keep the authenticity and the humanity to the messaging and to the, the kinds of relationships that we want to have with our audiences. Yeah, it's a great note on which to close. Digital becomes more human, hopefully. Uh, in 2020 <laughs> and beyond Paul thank you so much um, for your time uh, and I hope we can get you back on the podcast in the not too distant future um, and take care of yourself out there it's been a pleasure thank you you've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist Marketeers. 